Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michael. Thank you for joining me on this sports podcast. As we move further along into this week, it's Wednesday, but football season, the start of football season at the pro level is fresh. We're going to break down week one of the NFL with Adam Musto, reoccurring guest on the show, former NFL Network co-worker, still does some work for them, and really is a football head like myself. We talk about how Aaron Rodgers gashed his Chicago Bears, carted off the field, comes back, makes plays, wins the game there, how the Browns and Steelers ended up in a tie, Sam Darnold and Patrick Mahomes' first starts that were amazing, struggling Cowboys, all that and more as we look at the NFL landscape after one week. And then I talked to George Finozian, my buddy. He was on the first podcast two years ago, almost to the date, talking about the U.S. Open. We talk about this year's U.S. Open on the tennis scene, the Serena Williams controversy. Naomi Osaka wins her first major. That was marred by controversy, though. We break down the women's game and Novak Djokovic back at the top of the men's game, 14 Grand Slam championships. We talk about tennis. It's George Finozian. But first up, Adam Musto, you're listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect to talk NFL Week 1 in the books. Adam Musto, NFL Network co-worker of mine, stats guy, calling in from Chicago. Adam, thanks for joining the show. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, it's uh, an interesting one. I think we, we always break down NFL regular season matchups, and on this show we're going to do a lot of recapping of previous weeks instead of looking ahead, but... I think the tradition that's been developing on this show in, in recent memory is we just commiserate our sorrows about opportunities wasted between the Bears and the Browns. So good to see we're off to a good start with that one weekend. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I think since the year that we started working together in 2014, I know the Bears, I think, have had at least three straight triple-digit loss seasons. and um, I know the, the Browns are kind of right around there, too. So I, I don't know, maybe it's something on the water out there. Something, something in the Midwest not going right. You can even ask the Lions as well how they're handling things as well. But, Adam, I guess we got to start with your team, begrudgingly, the Chicago Bears. And I don't know. I There's different ways to capture Aaron Rodgers' greatness and, and how much he means to the team. But I don't think one game's ever illustrated just how important he is. Maybe. I mean, there there's definitely instances of him just – slugging around a team and, and bringing him back and then certainly having comeback wins. But, Adam, and not to bring up too bad of memories, but the Bears were playing so well in the first half. Khalil Mack was a beast, and not just him, but the rest of the Bears' defense. The offense was moving and, and doing some things right. Rodgers gets hurt. You think his game, certainly, but maybe season might be over. He gets carted off, and then he comes back and down 20 to nothing in the third quarter. They go on their run, and they win the entire game. I, I don't... I don't know if there's anybody else that could have pulled that off against the Bears, and yet he it seems like he does this all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think the thing that I just kind of forgot and just kind of blacking out through the whole second half is just how really how bad Deshaun Kaiser was for the Packers. And that kind of set the stage for obviously having him not to come back. And, I mean, it is crazy. I, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Mike McCarthy, and I think the Packers do have a lot of holes, and I do really feel that I'm sure a lot of people feel this way if it's not for Aaron Rodgers. I just feel like the Packers are a really bad football team, maybe like a 3-4 wins football team, whereas a team like the Patriots, obviously Brady's the man, but 
I think with Bill Belichick as that foundation, they're still going to find ways that, you know, obviously they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl every year if Brady were to go out, but I feel like they could still be a, a pretty respectable team in the NFL. And I mean, what he does, what Rogers does, I mean, he made like three throws that I can just think of right now that were literally perfectly placed, you know, whether it was right over the defender's head or in between, you know, two defenders and, and, and not to, you know, there aren't a whole lot of players I've ever seen that have been able to do what he's been able to do. Yeah, you get that sense that, I mean, the one throw was 60 yards on one leg. I think I saw the next-gen stat where that's like, that would have been top five last year of all downfield throws, and he did it on one leg. Uh, yeah, he's incredible. Randall Cobb making plays down the stretch. It's good to see him coming alive. But I will say, I, I do think the Bears obviously could have won this game, but aside from everything that Rodgers did, and they were a play away, it seemed like, six, seven times. I, for Rodgers to even have a chance to come back, a lot had to go in his favor, a lot that the Bears didn't do. Right, exactly. I mean, it's and there's a lot of similarities, I think, to that Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl where, you know, obviously you always hear the cliches in football. It might only, you know, a game might be decided by one or two plays. And I haven't looked at, like, the probability chart. But, yeah, exactly like you said. I mean, if Jordan Howard had stayed in bounds or Fuller had caught the interception or, you know, a bunch of other plays or even, you know, just – running the ball one more time, maybe over an incomplete pass and running an extra 30 seconds off the clock. And obviously the Cobb run. I mean, when you're down, obviously it's Aaron Rodgers, but when you're down six, to give up a touchdown like that, it's crazy. You know, my first thought is, well, now the Bears have over two minutes to move down the field. You know, they have plenty of time. But, yeah, it's just, I mean, the game, I I think I learned my lesson. I, I think the biggest thing for me is I was just so shocked that the Bears were up so big in the first half. I mean, that was one thing that I texted you that at no point during uh, Aaron Rodgers' led package against the Bears, the Bears had never even led by more than a possession against them. <laughs> so I was kind of expecting one of those 55 to 14 games or a game where the Bears kind of hang around, one of those like arena football type games where it's just score after score and they stay close, but they can't ever pull ahead. So, you know, I definitely learned, you know, not that I should have needed it again, but that lesson that the game literally, you know, is, is never over with Aaron Rodgers on the other sideline. That said, do you still feel confident about this Bears team to not just make some noise this year, but maybe even push for a playoff spot? Because that defense is scary. It was top ten last year. It's gotten a lot better with Mack and, and Roquan Smith and other guys and, and the offense you'd think would be a little better. Are you still optimistic about your team there? Well, I know a lot of people are kind of considering it a moral victory. and You, know, you play the team close, but I just think that games like this can really – I mean, I think the Bears are a very – I think there's a lot of players, just listening to some of the post-game sounds the guys are talking about, they're still hungry. They're not going to let you know one game de- derail their season. But just what I've seen, I feel like a, no matter what, a loss like that, and obviously you know, if this, if this loss happens in week 13 or 14 when they're like calling for a playoff spot, it could be really demoralizing. You know, obviously, it's not college football where you know, if you lose one game early, you still have a shot. But I just think that if you look at some of the teams that have had collapses under the young coaches. I'm trying to think of like Josh McDaniels and, and Jim Zorn um, and even, you know, Mark Trestman. Well, he started as a Bears coach. They started off, I think they won their first few games and then they collapsed late in the season and then his second season was just a disaster. I just feel like that is a lot of that goes on coaching. I mean, I like Matt Nagy a lot. But I just feel like when you blow a game like that, that's where the blame has to go. And I think over the long haul, I just feel like this trend may continue where the Bears are still a team that are learn, is learning how to win, and I don't think that bodes well for them going forward. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that moral victories aren't necessarily a sure thing, and, and they could not winning a game like this could be more detrimental than playing it close. And that's a good segue for getting into to my team, the Browns playing the Steelers. I got to be honest, Adam, I was a little disappointed. Too many people that I know were a little happy about the tie. A, because it's the Steelers, and not beating them is always a bad day. But also, you had that game right on your, if you're the Browns, you had that game right on your fingertips. Roethlisberger was responsible for five turnovers. He won the turnover battle, I think, 6-1, and yet couldn't make anything do. I think, obviously, the weather played a factor into it, but I'm just sick of the mundane, especially on the offensive side, and I know it wasn't a loss, and it was the best start in the last 14 years, which is just insane, but... It's incredible. It's incredible that this game went to a tie, given the fact that I think the Browns were more than enough ready to win this game. They had all those turnovers that they couldn't convert into points. Yeah, I mean, I think the interception right at the end of regulation was was big, and obviously missing a pretty short field goal in overtime. So there might be some signs to take away from it, but yeah, I think the Steelers are a team that will play to their down to the competition a lot and these are just one of those games that you have i mean it sounds like obviously it's not a win for the steelers but these are almost the type of wins that you expect the steelers to kind of eke out but yeah i I think that the browns have the momentum it's kind of like you know when you force i think like historically speaking going into overtime for example if you score last you generally have the momentum and i feel like if you end up losing a game because of that it's still like you said i would feel more frustrated losing tying this game just because I think they had a better chance of winning it as opposed to like, oh, you know, we, we barely yeah. squeaked by. We'll take this because, you know, I feel like we're kind of lucky to be if where you, we were. If you had no business winning, then you're happier with the tie. And, I mean, yeah. that's that's where it is. And I think bad teams or teams that aren't necessarily good or playoff good aren't going to get many opportunities to win games. That's the other thing is that it's not like, oh, well, there'll be others. There's no guarantee of that. they got to go to the Saints playing them off of a loss next week. I think there's some positives. Denzel Ward looked like a pretty good player, uh, but at Tyrod Taylor's offense, it was you know he doesn't turn the ball over, which is nice. But that's about the nicest thing you could say about him and his performance yesterday. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think Pittsburgh's got some issues, and I was shocked to see a just how happy all the linemen were when Connor would score, and just this constant nagging thing of Le'Veon Bell will he or won't he? The you know Roethlisberger's not getting any younger. This is a very bad omen and a bad sign of things to come, in my opinion, for the Steelers, that they're starting the season off in a terrible state, both on and off the field. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would love to kind of be a fly on the wall or part of that Steelers locker room to just kind of see exactly what it's like without Le'Veon Bell. I think now also in the NFL, just the windows of opportunity, I think with the salary cap, are just so small. Um, and here, you know, you have obviously, I, I think, Ben Roethlisberger kind of continues to play like this. I think he might obviously be on like the downward slope of his career, which you know obviously he's not young, so it's not a huge surprise. But when you still have AB and Le'Veon Bell, I mean Connor obviously ran the ball really well, but I don't know if that will sustain itself for the whole year. And I mean you can't, you know, no matter how well Connor does, you're still not going to replace Bell. So it was kind of a bizarre situation even before the game with the offensive lineman saying that they expect Bell to be back. I'm sure if he does come back, they'll still block for him just as well because, you know, they want to win. But, yeah, very weird situation. I feel like I like – I think Mike Tomlin has done really well, obviously, as a coach, not really going out on a limb there. But he always seems to kind of reel in the locker room. And I know Al Michaels once said he always seems to be ahead of everyone else. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that might not be great for them three months from now, so we'll see. We certainly will at a must money Mitch effect – 
Another game that had to give you flashbacks of the Arena Bowl and Arena Football in the past was Tampa Bay and New Orleans, 48-40. to The Bucks win that game and probably kill a lot of uh, survivor pools before the season was even really started. Tampa Bay, who was supposed to be really bad, bring up the rear in the NFC South, and still might. It's a lot of football left. But they go into New Orleans and win that game. Story's got to be on Tampa's side, Fitzmagic. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 417 yards. It's got a lot of people thinking that Jameis Winston might not get this job back when he when he returns from suspension. Are you in that camp? Yeah, I mean, the thing that, you know, if, if week one sign was Fitz continues to play like that, then I would definitely have to keep going with the hot hand. You know, I, I think Winston's been a little inconsistent, and, and, you know, he's never, from what I've seen, you know, shown those, like, amazing flashes, you know, that you see from the top quality guys. So I think you just got to ride the hot hand. Um, I am kind of waiting for Fitzpatrick, you know, the magic, the uh, Fitz tragic or whatever it is to kind of bounce back. I know he's been a little inconsistent or he's been a guy that plays really well. And then, you know, you kind of have the higher expectations. So I definitely want, you know, time to tell and get a few more games under his belt. But, but um, yeah, I mean, he seems to always kind of silence the doubt- doubters and be in the NFL. You know, I don't know, maybe 10 years from now, he's going to be like the Bartello clone where he's always playing and, always starting and uh i mean yeah it's crazy to go head-to-head against drew Brees and come on top because you know drew Brees was no schwab either you know he had 439 yards and three touchdowns yeah the saints offense was rolling as well playing a lot of catch up i i do think that this was just one game saints will put it in their back pocket move forward get to work on defense there's too much talent on the defense uh to to really sit back it was just cool to see fitzpatrick have a game like this and, and the game in the early round that I was really paying a lot of attention to maybe more than others outside of the Browns game was that Vikings Niners game Adam that Minnesota wins 24 to 16 it was pretty close I mean that score is a pretty good indication of how close this game was Viking offense was just okay made the plays when they needed to Kirk Cousins did a solid job but that defense I mean even when they're bending you know that they're not going to break they're, they're going to make some plays they come up with a defensive turnover I'm going to start with Minnesota because I feel like 1-53, to they might be the deepest team in all football. And defensively, especially when they're at home, it, it is a brutal, brutal task to try to score on them. I think Minnesota is just a nightmare for anybody to play because you know that everything's going to have to be given every inch on that football field. Yeah, I mean, they're they're just so stacked. And I think that's... You know, I'm kind of interested to see how Jimmy Garoppolo does when he kind of has the full season of work. And I do think he did. You know, I know he struggled a lot. And I, I don't really know what to take from the week one game. But, but yeah, it's, you know, they just kind of keep stacking players throughout that whole defense bar. And, I mean, obviously Harrison Smith is you know, arguably the best safety or definitely one of the top few safeties in the NFL. Um, so they just kind of have, you know, people at all three different levels on defense. And that old school NFC North, divisional football, um, which I feel like you don't see a lot in the NFL now. It's just such an offensive game. So I would still take Aaron, a healthy Aaron Rodgers against them, but I think that they will give him a run for the money. Um, you know, obviously, the Bears with Mac, they're, you know, they have shown that they're a force too. But, yeah, I think that will carry them. And if Kirk Cousins can kind of just kind of keep playing at the similar level, um, you know, I don't know. He's still kind of in that niche, you know, that in-between where he's not. I don't know if he's – the guy that's going to carry the franchise, but they have so much on defense that he doesn't necessarily need to. Yeah, I just I don't know how how you can feel confident as an offense going into Minnesota, knowing you have to deal with that defense even with Aaron Rodgers. But 
they they are very tough to play against, and I think the Super Bowl hype is real. They were so close last year. It's going to be a tall task regardless of who you are. I'm with you, though, too, on Garoppolo. I want to see him with the full year, but, I, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here, Adam, because he was playing against the Viking defense. I still don't think the skill positions are right there with him. Losing McKinnon in the, in the offseason, in the preseason, was tough. He showed flashes of this is why we think this guy is that good. He also showed... You know, the pick six and, and some mistakes as well. So I'm going to say safely that the jury's still out on Jimmy. I mean, there were some good, some bad, and ultimately the test was the, the test was pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, he, he won a lot at the end of the season, but I think it's also different. Those late-season games when maybe not a ton is on the line. And obviously, you know, you still give him credit. There were some quality teams there. Um, I do also think there's something to the fact of as you get more tape on someone, you kind of find – um, a player's weaknesses or how, how to game plan against them. So I think that that's also there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Vikings defense, I'm sure they still have that bad taste in their mouth. A lot of people kind of still associate, or at least a lot of uh, fans that maybe didn't see them all season, think, oh, this is the team that gave up all these points to the Eagles, so they might not be that solid. So I'm sure they have a lot to prove as well. Money Mitch Effect, Adam Musto still chatting about some NFL games uh, from week one. Interesting ones to talk about. The, the game that I really want to break down, Adam, Maybe not so much breakdown, but kind of forecast some doubt. Carolina beat Dallas 16-8. to And I think what most people are talking about is not that Carolina grinded out a win in week one, is that Dallas looks very, very vulnerable. And I say vulnerable because I don't want to use the word bad yet. But it could be a long <laughs> season for the Cowboys if they don't figure that out on offense because it was tough to watch. Yeah, I mean, what was it? Hardly any first downs or not even you know, having a play in, in uh, Panthers territory. So... You know, it's weird. I don't really know what to make of Dak Prescott. Obviously, he was great as a rookie. I think he kind of snuck up on some people. But And obviously, I think losing Des Bryant is a blow, even though the last three years or so, he hasn't been that elite wide receiver. I feel like I'm using the word elite a lot, so I'm trying to maybe backtrack from that. Um, I feel like that's, that gets thrown out there a lot. But, yeah, I mean, it just did not look good. And, you know, I think they have a lot of uh, problems on both sides of the ball. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's just missing a player or just kind of more – Obviously, losing uh, with a Frederick the offensive lineman for at least a year, if not his whole career, is big. And so they have to figure a lot of things out. Yeah, what to make about Dak is a hot topic. I don't think it's fully fair to say that he's just a complete bust and he's regressing because they haven't really surrounded him with much talent. I mean, Witten's retired. There's no real throwing threat. There's nobody that makes you say, wow, or, well, we got to watch out if you're a defensive coach. How are we going to guard this guy? No real fear there. Defensively, they're still they're still solid. Carolina is that team, though, right? Like, they don't beat teams flashy when they don't need to. I feel like they win a lot of ugly games where Cam Newton just puts together these long drives and they just get some points but control field position. Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I know we saw it last year in the, I know the Vikings game where that long run kind of late in the game to kind of grind it out. So, yeah, and I think that can also go on you know, coaching, just Cam being a leader. And knowing how, I think knowing how to close out games is big, and they didn't necessarily have to do it as much against the Cowboys, but I think that's kind of their plan. I mean, they're kind of a you know big, nasty team that can run the ball, and yeah, I know losing Olsen sounds like he's going to try to play. Whatever happens with that, it'll be a blow, or yeah, I don't know if he'll be at 100%, but as far as the, as far as the Cowboys, yeah, it, like you said, it's a, it's a tough proposition because, you know, their wide receivers, Beasley, Terrence Williams, those guys aren't, aren't going to sneak up on anybody, so it's it's going to be tough. Is there anybody this weekend, Adam, that maybe 
improve their stock or, or reinforce the hype around them as much as Patrick Mahomes? No, I don't think so. Looks I think um, he's definitely a player, definitely a player that a lot of people in the NFL circles are pretty excited to see. I know the Chiefs have been so talented, or at least you know, winning regular season games with Alex Smith. But I, I do feel feel like they needed someone to kind of get over the hump. And I mean, his arm, I, I think he definitely showed it off in the preseason too. So I think people are pretty excited to see that in the regular season. And it just, I mean, it's awesome to see that. I, I, I can't. I mean, there's guys obviously with the big gun, but I think if he continues to play like that, he can easily. You know, all the quarterbacks gonna have. You know, the, the top quarterbacks gonna have their different um, things. Even even Rodgers. I mean, he's he's had the moves. I feel like his his thing is more just those you know super deadly accurate throws. But it's kind of nice to see someone just toss it up like sixty yards or more. Yeah, such a strong arm. He looked great out there. Tyree Kill is is unguardable, and it's crazy because it's just speed. Like he's not big; his routes aren't that precise. He just outruns everybody. You know, obviously that said, the Chargers could have won this game, and their receivers dropped, and they missed field goals, and it's typical Charger football, at least early in the season. But I do want to point out that there's something to be said. I think this is another example in the research data of how nice it is to sit and learn in a good system, to be to also get drafted by a good team. What happens, Adam, if the Browns or somebody like that takes Mahomes last year? What happens is the veteran gets hurt, the team sucks, the outcry is ready, we want you in, and you probably play poorly. It, it stunts your growth, you get hit a little bit, you might get injured, and, and it doesn't go this well, at least this smoothly, this early. You hear stories about Mahomes and how last year, early in the season, he had trouble identifying the mic. And now look at him and how a year of learning really meant to him. I just think that that fully reinforces the a positive narrative and one that I believe in, that it's better to wait and learn if you have the right system in front of you. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Chiefs are that kind of perfect team where, you know, well, they have obviously Tyreek Hill and you know, Andy Reid is still going to be a pretty solid coach, I think, where you have a pretty high high floor with him and kind of solid around him. And yeah, I think, you know, the, the Bills are kind of in that same situation where they feel like Josh Allen is not ready, but Nathan Peterson is playing terribly so um you kind of have to wait and yeah i think you just don't want to throw a guy out there that's too young because yeah i mean there's no reason to yeah i don't know if that would totally kill someone's career but you know if it does you know i'd rather have one loss year than 15 loss years and you know and and just wasting high pick again i'm totally with you obviously i agree you don't want to throw somebody out there if they're not ready but if they are ready and they look as good as sam darnold (laughs) You probably play them because I, I don't want to say for sure. It's a surefire thing that he's going to work out, but this is uh, it, it looks pretty good after one week. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think after his first pass, people are thinking, "Oh, it's same old death. But um, yeah, and you know, the the Lions are no. I mean, obviously they had a lot of problems on the offensive side of the ball, but I, mean, I think their defense is kind of right in there. It's not like they're a total pushover. So yeah, what he did on Monday night was was awesome. I still obviously want time to tell, but. But, uh, yeah, it was just kind of good to see him out there swinging it. And, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on your guy, Baker Mayfield, but there's so many you know, high-drafted quarterbacks, and yeah. I think the teams are kind of taking it differently. Uh, Rosen didn't play. Uh, Josh Allen isn't ready yet for the Bills. And, and we've seen, I, you know, I think Roethlisberger was kind of obviously the first one as a rookie, and then it kind of became the norm with RG3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we like to kind of throw him out there. And but then, you know, guys like Culpepper and Carson Palmer waited a year. But if you're ready, you know, I mean, Darnold, he only turned 21 a few weeks, a few months ago, so... Might as well. Why not? <laughs> Lamar Jackson played a few snaps, and I think it is a case-by-case basis, but this class being so strong, you probably will see all of them sooner rather than later. 
Uh, maybe Baker might be the last one, ironically, to get on the field. Uh, but, you know, the Jets the Jets have some things good. Darnold is making the throws. He's got some mobility. It was the full it was the full Sam Darnold experience. A pick six on his first pass, which Brett Favre, Johnny Unitas, a few other well-known good quarterbacks have done on their first pass, ironically. I think you're going to get that. You're going to get a quarterback that can make the tough throws that will, like a lot of rookies, make mistakes, throw some picks. But ultimately, we'll see if this thing blooms. The one risk is you don't want a line to get him killed. And that's my biggest worry with Cleveland is that I think they signed Tyrod Taylor explicitly to take these hits because the line is not as good as it was in years past even. And I think that's where the big weakness is. But the Jets looked good. Darnold made some big plays. And I think the Lions, on the other hand, I I think it could be a long season for them. We'll wrap the show with talking about some of the poor teams. But, I mean, Stafford, I don't know if he's made that transition to just not great, not bad, rate kind of above average. But given how that division's gone and given how their defense doesn't look, what else is new, doesn't look that good, he was forcing it and made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, it's you know he's kind of right in that middle range, like you were saying. I feel like kind of somewhat similar to that Jay Cutler role, where you know you kind of know, you know, at least the, the, the I mean, well, it kind of did yesterday, I guess, but but you still kind of know, you know, with him, you still are going to probably win between seven, at least seven to nine games. Obviously, the stats we've talked about them over and over about his record against teams with winning records and, and the playoffs and stuff. So yeah, especially at home. So weird to see, you know, it just really collapsed for him. I think he's taking, you know, sorry not to harp on the Browns, but comparing the 0-16 teams, you know, I think he kind of turned around the Lions in a sense from not being the laughing stock that they were under Matt Miller to a, a somewhat serviceable slash middle of the pack NFL team. But I think obviously yesterday is kind of the worst case scenario of what you get from him. Sure is. Sure looks like it. The uh, last game I want to get into in full detail was the last game of the night. It was Raiders-Rams. Still chatting with Adam Musto on the Money Mitch Effect. The late night West Coast game. Rams win 33-13 to after falling down 7 nothing early. They really turned it on in the second half. 23 to nothing shutout in quarters 3-4. and four. Adam, with that loss, I just want to put it into perspective too. New coaches went 0-7 in week 1. Terrible, terrible performances uh, by new coaches or coaches debuting this season, I should say. Maybe not in John Gruden's case, a first-time head coach. But the Raiders, it, it comes back to Carr for me. He looked terrible this game. You know, it's so kind of weird for him, too. You know, obviously, yeah, I don't know where you compare him, maybe in the Dak Prescott role. But, you know, he had that new MVP season a few years ago and obviously has a terrible injury right before the playoffs trying to kind of kill their, their, their playoff chances. So, you know, it's just, I don't know. I mean, he has Cooper. Jerry Cook had a great game. But just down the stretch, or, you know, key moments with the game on the line, at least close, and trying to make a comeback, it's just some things are missing. And, you know, obviously Marshawn Lynch had that big run. But otherwise, not a ton else. And, and yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know if John Gruden has more tricks up his sleeve for, you know, the offense that uh, going back to the 2002 days. But, yeah, and I think Gruden coming to the Raiders, I think a lot of that, predicated on the fact that he had Carly's you know pretty decent quarterback but I still think we haven't obviously seen the full um, development of him yet yeah and, and to, be f- come. <laughs> to be fair and I know this might give you pleasure but the Raiders are just not going to be good I think they kind of waved the white flag in the in the short term by not only trading Khalil Mack but just revamping this entire roster trying to be more of whatever John Gruden's trying to get they got the oldest roster in the league this was a tough matchup regardless the Rams have 
a lot of hype, and I think a lot of it's justified. I felt like Donald was either getting held or making play on every play. Defensively, that's what stands out to me. I think we knew that the Rams' offense was good and was going to be continuing to improve. But defensively, you add some, some big-time corners. You, you have that such great pass rush in front. That's where they're going to make the most strides this year, and that's where they're going to, I think, catch some teams even by surprise because I think this is a much revamped, much improved defense, and it showed on Monday night. Yeah, I mean, you almost forget that they have Dominican Sue, and it's kind of crazy to think to pair him with with Aaron Donald. And you know, I don't maybe maybe Sue's kind of lost a few steps from his heyday uh, when he was stopping people at the Lions. But yeah, and having Marcus <laughs> Peters in the in the secondary, arguably a top top five or top ten at least corner, I think, in the NFL. So they obviously made a serious effort to say, hey, you know, this is our opportunity to go out and, you know, obviously compete for a championship. So it'll be pretty fun to watch. I mean, you know, they have the playmaking players on offense and, and just kind of that stout defense that you really need and obviously the, the young coach. A lot of must, though, before we wrap this up on the Money Mitch effect. I want to pose two questions here, one being who do you think – has looked the best or is right where they need to be through one week of football. It's hard not to say the Patriots. We didn't break down that game, but I feel like regardless of what happens, all the topsy-turviness, there's Tom Brady, there's Bill Belichick, and the Patriots with the win over the Texans are just churning out wins. It's like, just a for, At this point, it's just kind of a formality, and I feel like you just kind of like – I mean, I feel like if you watch – to them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, other than them, though, there's some other teams that I think have looked much improved, I'll say. I mean, obviously the Eagles winning that Thursday night game. We mentioned the Rams and, and some other teams as well. But I, I think it was I think it was a good good week for some of the teams. Like, that came into the offseason with the – that came into the season with the hype. But nice to see some other teams like the Dolphins and Redskins pull out wins when maybe a lot of people – and the Ravens, too, maybe when a lot of people weren't as sure how good they'd be. You know, I think that the the Seahawks surprised me, even though you know they've lost. Obviously, they're they kind of shell of their former selves on defense. But um, and you know, I think the, the Broncos last year surprised me about how poorly they did. And I think um, now, if, you know, obviously, it's just one game. But if, if they're kind of turning things around with Keenum, who you know had his struggles as well, but it's kind of weird how that team just kind of it just kind of goes year in and year out and just play different quarterbacks. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But if they can just kind of get the defense somewhat to where they were a few years ago, they could be a team to watch too. And on the other side, just teams that have just looked awful, who could be one of could be bad the entire season. Who stood out to you? I mean, the Bills were just destroyed. I would even throw the Titans in there. That with Mariota's injured, and depending on what happens there, it could be a disastrous season for them. And even maybe the Giants, who lose to the Jaguars early too. So who stands out on the negative side? You think? Yeah, I mean, with the Titans, I think losing Delaney Walker too, who is you know one of their top offensive threats that could really hurt. I mean, the Saints are just Saints are another team that it just it's I, I don't know they're kind of starting to fall into that Steelers category where you know they still have the quarterback, they still have a lot around them, but they just kind of lose these games that you know they're not like the Packers or the Patriots where you just kind of know they're going to take care of business. And I've I've always thought Sean Payton is a pretty good coach, but I feel like just the last few years he's had some really bad losses. So that's another team. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, the Giants, I think they definitely could have beaten the Jaguars. Obviously, the Jaguars are a pretty solid top-four team, um, at least from last year. But I think everyone kind of expected at least the Giants to come back. I mean, you know, it's I think it's time to start winning with when you have Beckham, for sure. 
Yeah, and also, I want to leave you with this. Saquon Barkley, great game, great player. But the Giants took a running back, took, took a position that's probably the most unnecessary to take a high draft pick, would you say? One pick ahead of their fellow New York rival taking the quarterback that's probably going to lead them for over a decade when they're probably going to need a quarterback too. So I'm just interested to see how that plays out with Darnold being on the Jets when the Giants could have had him. Yeah, because it seems now like it's almost a given that even if the best thing goes right for a running back, you might get eight years out of them. I mean, obviously you can get a couple more, but it just seems now it's like, okay, you're 29, 30, we're going to cut you no matter what. Where, you know, on the quarterback side, and not necessarily guaranteeing that's going to happen to Darnold, but I think it's not out of the question if so you guys continue to play well into, I mean, easily their late 30s and even into their 40s and stuff. So, yeah, I think it does kind of become a numbers game. I mean, we even saw that, you know, going back maybe 20 years ago when you'd see all these tight ends drafted in the top 15, and that's a little more unheard of now. So, yeah, you just kind of have to, I mean, at some point it just kind of becomes a, a numbers, a pure stats game where if you know a running back is only going to play for a few years or or not be a huge part of the of the offense, you know, it's funny because we put together these our top runs of each week, and so many times you look at the box score, and a, a, the longest run in a game might be 15, 16 yards. So I would say, another. I, I mean, I guess I would say Emmett Smith's all-time rushing record is probably safe for a while, <laughs> and uh, the game is changing. So you just kind of have to go where it's going. And I think we've seen that in the past where guys like RG3, you know, get drafted high because that's kind of what's in vogue in, in the NFL and, um, you know, some of these duels that quarterback. So you just kind of have to figure out what's going to be most sustainable for the long haul. It's going to be fascinating. I think anytime Giants and Jets have remorse about anything, especially given the fact that the Jets are, Darnold's going to be throwing touchdowns in the same stadium that Giants fans go to watch games, I think that's going to be pretty fun. But one week's in the books. We're excited to see where this season goes. Adam Musto, hope you're doing well. And uh, thank you for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Won't be. I'm confident to say won't be your last appearance this year on the show. Thanks again. Sounds good, yeah. A week one of the NFL season is definitely one of those great unofficial holidays in the country, so happy that football season's back. All right, huge thanks to Adam Musto for coming on today's show and talking to football. It's always a pleasure to talk to him and break down everything on the gridiron. He will be back. You can guarantee that. Next up, George Spinozian. Time to talk tennis. The U.S. Open was interesting. The women's final, Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. Osaka winning her first major, but that's not what everybody's talking about. We break down the controversy with Serena Williams. Was the punishment fair? Where do we go from here? And we talk about Novak Djokovic's 14th major title, his return to prominence after almost a two-year, uh, over a two-year drought, I should say. He beats Juan Martin Del Potro. What's the state of the men's game? It's George Pinozzi, baby Jordy, talking tennis here now on the Money Mitch Effect. I'm feeling smooth, ain't nothing gonna freeze me. All right, back again on the Money Mitch Effect, old school tennis talk. George Pinozian. George, thanks for joining the show. Baby George. Every right, time. It's the first time you've been back in a while. It's, uh, you know, it, you know, it's, it's, awesome. yeah, it's, it's been a few months. I like it. it you has. know, this is, uh, this is what I live for. Yeah, you own two businesses. You own uh, Sweet and Hollow, Chimney Cake Company, and you know, Dancing with a Bunch of Dudes, Fantasy Football, LLC. <laughs> but second business isn't doing well, I gotta say. I mean, what are you gonna do at a wedding? Well, it's just off to a rough years? start, you know. But businesses go through tough patches sometimes, and it's just a matter of how you bounce back. And yeah. uh, it's a it's a rough start for the fantasy, you know. But 
No, I, actually, I, I think my team's not bad, believe it or not. <laughs> Even though I, I didn't really have a good week, I'm still, you know, I still got Le'Veon Bell, like, on my squad. So once, I know it's kind of a messy situation with him. And if he was healthy this week, I would have won, most likely. So Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, and I, I really like Will Fuller a lot. And he he was hurt. He didn't play either. And I forgot to change him for my lineup, unfortunately. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, it was just the last minute scratch that I didn't see. So it's uh, sucked. But either way, I, I would have lost anyway. So that, it wasn't the difference. But I still like my squad. I think uh, I think I'll squeak in the playoffs. But okay. I, I don't. My team is definitely needs a little work though if I'm trying to win it. Okay, I like that optimism, and I also like the fact that just to be clear. You got Le'Veon Bell, I think, fourth overall, so you weren't one of those people that picked him high. Like, anyone would have taken him there. So, I see it. You know, I understand. Yeah. But uh, you can't yeah. lose to Todd Speedburner Robinson, of all people, and, and live it down easily. So, it's going to take some, some yeah. reflection. <laughs> all right. We're going to yeah. talk tennis, George, because that's what we do. And it's, believe it or not, I think this is like the two-year anniversary of, us, of me starting this podcast with me and you talking the U.S. Open 2016. Wow. So it's crazy to think about. That was one of the first ones, right? It was. It was one of the first ones, and here we are two years later. Some things have changed in the tennis Uh, world, but not a lot's changed in the tennis world. And there is no bigger talking point in tennis than that U.S. Open women's final. Naomi Osaka wins her first major, 20 years old, Japanese tennis player. First major for anyone from Japan, man or woman. But no one's talking about that because all eyes and ears are on Serena Williams and the fallout from her feud with the umpire. George, you were there. You saw what happened. Not at you were you weren't there. I should rephrase that. You were at, in the Tennis Channel building, breaking it down. You saw what happened. You saw the repeated instances, the repeated run-ins with Serena and the umpire. What's the first thing that you think about when all this was going down? Do you think it was fair, kind of in the middle? or just blatantly unfair to Serena Williams? I would say I'm kind of in the middle with it. Serena definitely like was losing and was not in the best mood. So she was definitely a bit cranky. And I think the first coaching vi- uh, violation that she received, she took it to the heart a little too quickly. And, and she kind of kept bringing that up and she wouldn't let it go. So I think the umpire called that violation because it was a coaching violation. Serena, by any means, didn't even look at the coaching signal that Patrick was trying to imply to her. But she should have just uh, kind of like settled her, kept her composure a little, and maybe not kept pushing the buttons of the umpire. I do think the umpire was a little harsh, definitely, and especially in the game, in the one-game penalty violation for the verbal abuse. So I think he maybe could have said, hey, Serena – Prior to her like calling her a thief and a liar, he could have maybe said warn, warned her and said, "Serena, you know, if, if you get another violation, you're gonna lose the game. Just right. to let you know." Like, if if he really liked her, I think then he would do something like that. But I think clearly, like, he's probably not the biggest Serena fan, and he does have a history of being harsh. To all of his players, not just women, actually. Yeah, and I, I just don't. The first thing is, yeah, it was a quick whistled ref, and anyone that's played sports know that those refs exist. I'm not really buying this whole conspiracy that he was out to get her. It was just a referee that no. he just said 
was quick yeah. to quick whistle as you would say maybe in soccer or basketball or, or a baseball an umpire that's yeah there's always someone. there's refs, refs like, like that. that yeah i don't understand why serena took a cheating violation a cheating warning which clearly as you said he admitted to mortiglue admitted to, to coaching I don't know why she yeah. took that warning as a personal attack on her character like she was a cheater. Yeah. That's kind of a stretch. Yeah, that was unnecessary. That, that was unnecessary. And that's the part where I am a little, a bit more, I'm not really on Serena's side, to be honest, just only because she did have a point, definitely, of certain things. And a little bit about the biasness, and yes, they are a little bit harsher on women. That stuff is true, but it was almost just like you said, she took it way too personal and she kind of took it to a level where that it didn't really need to be taken. She was really like attacking the ref, yelling and attacking. Right. So that's why I'm not on her side because either way, she's, it's still wrong. Guy or girl, like if, if Djokovic was arguing to the umpire like that, pointing his finger at him, calling him a thief and a liar, like chances are that the umpire would most likely call a verbal abuse too. Right. And it wasn't the word thief. I think we can all agree it was the culmination of everything. It was her just keeping going. And keeping exactly. Exactly. Entire, yeah. For two pretty much entire changeovers. I think there's been a lot of takes on this, George. The best one that I read was by Martina Navratilova, who said, yeah, there, there probably is a double standard, but that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make Serena's behavior Yeah, that, right. exactly. So, I've read that, too. I mean, what what is Serena Williams honestly expects going to happen? Is an umpire going to apologize, going to retract a, a warning well after the fact? I mean, let's be real here. The referees don't do that. So it's unfortunate. It sucks. I don't – it marred Osaka's moment, and that's someone that who I really feel bad for because she had this moment yeah. winning her first major, and <laughs> this is what it's remembered for, and everyone was booing and booing the trophy presentation. But for Serena, for Serena Williams, we know how great she is, all-time, best ever, no question. But she is dramatic. She can be kind of mean out there. And there was a couple stretches there, like – I know, I know it was an intense moment, but I don't know what being a mother has to do with it, right? Like, that part of it. it. Does, and then the women's right side, that's kind of a stretch. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I get that bigger picture argument to a point, but how does that apply to right then and there? That, that's where I'm having a hard yeah. time connecting the dots. I think ultimately, George, the biggest issue in all this is they got to figure out what to do about the coaching violations because, yes, a lot of coaches do it. And sometimes they go unchecked. So I think the, the officials need to decide if they're going to enforce it all the time or just let them start coaching because that's the bigger issue to me with what ultimately went down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that, that needs to be discussed amongst in, in the USCA and in the Tennis Federation for sure because it, it, it is a little unfair. I, I don't think he was really doing it to get the message across. I think he was just doing it by instinct, just yeah. a natural reaction. But, I mean, it's not allowed, and it was a penalty, and and I think uh, that the rules should stay the same as far as for no motions whatsoever, even if the player's not looking or not. Right, like everybody does That's it true. is like getting pulled over for speeding and say everybody speeds, you know, like it sucks, yeah. but it's a rule. So I think it just needs to it's be enforced. The rule. It needs to be yeah. enforced a little better. Should point out the umpire, Ron yeah. Ramos, should point out he's not suspended. He's going to be an umpire for Davis Cup matches this weekend. And other umpires are rallying around him, so it's a it's he has, yeah. they have his back in this. So I think look, yeah. tennis is a gentleman is a gentleman's game, as they say. It's not what you would expect. I know there's a lot of passion in sports, especially North American sports, but um, you know I think everybody could have improved just a little bit 
and uh, ultimately it was just a bad moment. And unfortunately, it, it clouded Naomi Osaka, George, who we've been high on. I know personally I've been high on. She's arrived now. First of, I've got to think, many majors, multiple majors at the very least for this young, powerful tennis player. She's got a great serve and was matching power for power with Serena Williams, which is hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been talking about Osaka. She's actually probably even been, if we look back two years ago, I've probably had her at a, a deep Keys run. Match? I probably had her as a deep run, yeah, one yeah. of my picks in the, in the last two years, I think. I've had her as a semifinalist or something, at least. Yeah, I, I would love to few, look back and you're see. You're always a few <laughs> off. You're always like, you're right I'm always on the a player. few off, yeah. though, but I'm right on the player, yeah. That's that's the thing. So I'm cool with that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still okay with that. She's good. She's got a bright uh, future. She's and... good. Yeah, you know, she, she has a she big serve, and she's young, and she's definitely kind of been doing it a lot more consistently for a younger player, which is pretty impressive, I think. So I think, uh, she, yeah, she's only 20 years old. She's, she's going to be on for a while, actually. I really think she's going to be dominating for a very long time. We're going to hear her name quite often. She's up to number seven in the world, passing the likes of Ostapenko, Sloan Stevens, Pliskova, with this win. And George, now I think it's eight different women have held the last eight majors. So the parody's there. I mean, it's still the WTA, but, but I would say it's kind of exciting because for the first time in a while, yeah. you've got some new faces at the top that are really challenging the old guard, challenging Serena. Halep broke through, won her first major. Some new faces there at the top that I think are going to be around for a little bit. Yeah, that part's exciting too, but I think now what would make it even more exciting is if some one of those newer A players that had won in the past two years won again. Then it can start creating new rivalries and and uh, new rivalries and, and and such. The women's game is uh, been a little bit better to watch, I would say, this past year. It is, but we all know that you know there's going to be upsets, whatever. See, I mean, I'm always going to look at a draw like that Wozniacki's in and think that's where the upsets are going to happen. It's <laughs> it's just how it works, but no, it's exciting. I think we're. We're getting to a better place with the women's game. I think the depth is, is finally there that we've been waiting on. All right, George Pinozzi and Money Mitch Effect. Let's look at the men's side, and he's back. Novak Djokovic has returned, winning the last two majors, wins the U.S. Open for the third time in straight sets. He beats Juan Martin Del Potro. What a difference a couple months makes, George, because going into Wimbledon, Djokovic was in a serious major drop for him. Hadn't won since the French Open of 2016. Now he's won the last two, 14 majors. In between those two, he beat Roger Federer to win Cincinnati and beat and pick up all the Masters 1000 titles in his career. It's uh, it's I guess safe to say Joker's back, and and you gotta feel like he's gonna stick around a while at the top of the game. Oh yeah, I mean he's definitely back, and that's why I I didn't really understand it when all the a lot of the critics were basically saying, "Is this the end of Joker?" You know, and, and then, yeah, there were definitely moments where he looked really bad and just not at the same level that we were typically used to seeing him at. But yeah, it's definitely safe to say that he's back, and now and it, it's just his de- his fitness and his defense has gone back to that same level, and that's what makes it so difficult to beat Djokovic because once his defense uh, turns on. Like the way it's uh, it's been, especially during the U.S. Open, it's he's hard to crack. He doesn't make errors. He gets to everything, and he kind of just wears you down until you make the mistake. And um, yeah, I mean, he looked great, and 
like you said, I, I he's going to be at he's probably he's going to be at number one in the world next year, the beginning of next year, most likely. Well, he could be there by the end of this year, depending on what yeah, happens okay. with Nadal and Federer. I mean, Federer, how much tennis he'll play, what his shape's in. Nadal hurt his knee. How much will he play? Yeah. Djokovic has no points to defend. He's number three in the world, and all these tournaments are going to be just bonuses for him. So it could happen by the end of this year. It's it's very possible. Um, yeah, he makes you hit that extra shot. I mean, no matter who he's playing, you have to account for the fact that he's going to get everything back and he's going to put power and pace on the ball. He can mm-hmm. he can just bang with you out there. And he's back to being that pest, that ultimate fit physical freak out there. I mean, it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. He beats Nadal at Wimbledon and it turns his whole year around. I I mean, I think it's safe to say, though, George, right? Like, the draw did open up for him, but he would have won this tournament regardless if he had to play Federer or Good. Nadal. Regardless, that's in the way. I, I do think it's Nadal, Nadal would have been tougher for him, I think. Yeah, it would have. But Nadal was, before he got hurt against Delpo, that's a lot of tennis Nadal had to play. Last year, he the draw yeah. opened up. He didn't play many five-set matches. This year, catching off long match, team long match, yeah. even uh, Badges Vili was longer. So that was a lot yeah. of miles put on Nadal. I think Joker, that's true. with not having to play as tough of a field, with some upsets in front of him and just being back to being the great Novak Djokovic, it would have been it would have been tough for Rafa. But I will give him props to returning back to a major final for the first time in nine years. Juan Martin Del Potro. It's good to see Delpo back in a major final, a place where I think a lot of us didn't think he would be again. Yeah, I mean uh, he's been a lot more consistent than he's ever been, or that he's been for a while this year. So everyone's happy, you know, to see him playing well again getting those awesome forehand shots every once in a while. Yeah, he's definitely a favorite amongst the crowd. He was only, you know, he only got broke twice, I think, or it was only one break pretty much each of the of the first and third sets he lost. The second went to a tie break. So it was straight sets, but it wasn't a beatdown. He lost to mm-hmm. one of the three best players of all time. Those things will happen when Djokovic is on. I think he'll be a threat in majors going forward, especially with some of the the older guys getting up there uh, in age, but it's good to see Del pull back. He's one of the most liked players on tour. I got to ask you, what happened? What do you think happened in the upset with Federer? Because he lost to John Millman, and it was bizarre to see how he lost in four sets after winning the first. Looked as bad as maybe even old as Federer has ever looked. Do you think it was the heat conditions or something more? Maybe old age or not playing enough tennis this year. No, I think it was what he said. I think that, you know, he wasn't the only player complaining about the, the humidity and the heat this tournament. So it must have been really difficult for all the players to be playing in those conditions. And um, it does make sense what he's saying about the humidity getting trapped in the stadium with the with the new roof. And I think since the roof is new, and this is probably the first year where there has been that much humidity. It's probably been a new thing that players have noticed. So it's it's something that could probably be fixed. And it's something that they should look into. If it's just so they don't run into the same problem again. But I do believe what he said. And it was clearly shown that he was struggling, even just looking at his face and his uh, demeanor on the court. Yeah, it was anytime. Uh, let me just put it this way: anytime a, a guy thirty six, thirty seven loses, you're gonna think, okay, maybe this is it. I think Federer's fitness; he did look really good against Kyrgios. I think he's still at that at that high level of being he's able to still, play with anyone. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, we saw Sloan Stevens the next day or, or a day or two later deal with the Heat, and she's much younger, the defending U.S. Open women's champ. I think everybody had issues there. I think it was just one of those things where he it, it got to him. It was stunning to see it get to him because it never usually does, but I think it clearly did, and he was well, well off of his game. I worry a little bit every time Rafa gets hurt, George, just because he's yeah. had a history of injuries. I know it's just tendinitis, I think. He pulled out of the Davis Cup tie that Spain's got coming up this weekend. But you started to see stuff wasn't looking right towards the end of that team match and then into the Del Potro match. I just I always worry whenever he gets hurt now just knowing his history. Yeah, I mean, I do too. But uh, this one just sounds like he might just need a little rest because, like you said, he has played some long matches and it's been a, a long year and we're kind of headed towards the last quarter of it. So I think he just needs a little break, um, just a few weeks off maybe to – to yep. get some rest and get back in it, you know? Do you think, let's talk about the guys that almost beat him, like Dominic Team, for one. Do you think he's leaving this U.S. Open feeling better or feeling worse? I ask that because he played as good as you could probably play against Rafa in a best-of-five major setting and just couldn't beat him. you think he feels like he's getting closer or it's like, what do I have to do to beat this guy? I think he feels like he's getting closer, but... It was definitely, I mean, he team is 25 years old. He's not like a 20-year-old, 21-year-old kid, you know, but he's, uh, which is still, he's still young, of course, but he's definitely like getting at an age where maybe he should start make, be making a little more noise. Now, he's not really the next gen anymore. He's just, this should be like, take away the next part. It should just be gen. His, his generation should gen. start now. So, but um, I, I even read an article that said, how like this loss was going to stay with him for a while that he it was it really hurt him because honestly watching that match even Nadal like apologized at the end of the match because he basically knows that team played better team was should have won that match he was uh, he had momentum everything he should have won the match but Nadal the, the veteran just stuck around and team had just made that uh, that costly error I mean that cost him the match that error the overhead mm-hmm. at the end of the match but. Maybe perhaps should have let it bounce and then probably would have landed it. But that's not the point. The point is is that it's good that he gets these matches under his belt because then he, he gains that experience. That's, that's the only thing that's really missing in his game is just going through moments like that. A lot of players have to go through moments like that in order to get to that right. it was some of the achievement best. of being number one. It was yeah. some of the best tennis of the tournament. It was the best match I it was. by far. and. He was right there, was. shot for shot, and keeping up with Nadal, stamina-wise, which is hard to do. I just wonder, because it reminded me of that Australian Open two years ago, Nadal Dimitrov, where Nadal was outplayed again, and Nadal the warrior, the, the big point player, was able to come through. Now, we know Dimitrov had a run-in with somebody, <laughs> and we'll just keep that. Hopefully, team doesn't uh, have the same run-in, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I hope, yeah, I hope <laughs> the team bounces back a lot better than Dimitrov did uh after a demoralizing loss like that. Yeah, demoralizing meeting as well. Uh, Kachanov was the other guy that I think, his match against Nadal only went four sets, but it was four hours long, and he's a little younger. He's somebody that I think yeah, proved I a lot this tournament. I think he's knocking on the door. We know it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to get in, but somebody eventually is going to have to start winning Grand Slams. He's 22, I think. He might... Might have, if he if he's yeah. 22, he just turned 22, but he's got a game that I think has some serious potential. Oh yeah, he has an all-around game, and uh, 
quick fact about him is he's actually Armenian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, he is. Okay. If you look, if you look him up, yeah. Uh, the other day, uh, I was at my my uh, <laughs> my father and mother in law's house, and they were watching tennis. And then somehow he came up, and they were telling me that his name Karen is actually pronounced Karen, and that's actually an Armenian name. So I was curious, and I looked it up. I looked him up. And sure enough, it said that he was of Armenian descent, but he was just born in Moscow. Is Kachinov Armenian? Because so, that doesn't sound Armenian. Kachinov is Armenian. Kachinov really? is Armenian. Wow. But he was just born in Russia. No, I but mean, he's like the full last of, name. Like so, it's on his, so it's on his mom's Well, Kachinov is, the thing is, is Kachinov is a, sounds like a Russian name. Yeah. But what happens is sometimes when Armenians move over to Russia or other countries, they take out the IAN from their last name. Oh, this is kind of like lesson. how like so kind of like Agassi, like Agassi's Armenian, so he, his yeah. last name prior was probably Agassian or Agassian okay. and Kachanovian. So I mean, <laughs> Armenians and Russians kind of have a yeah. <laughs> you're like okay. Yeah. Armenians and Russians kind of have a history, you know, of uh, kind of sharing similar culture and background. Okay. So but anyways, he is a good player. Yeah, he's only, what is he, only 21, right? Yeah, he'll be 22 this year. I thought you were going to say, fun fact, he looks like Liam Hemsworth. Because <laughs> that's the that thing too. around. Yeah, that but, too. But no, good for our <laughs> But yeah, definitely random facts. Yeah. It is, man. You know, it's never ever, I've ever seen an Armenian tennis player really on the tour, so. That's good, that's good. Hey, George, before we, we wrap up the U.S. Open, I got to ask again, because it's another major, when are we going to get something good out of Zverev? Oh man! Like it's Poor time kid. now. Like he, like it's it's, it's got to be head. viewed as choking right now, right? Like he's got three Masters, one yeah, thousand I mean, titles. He's been in top four seed at the last like six majors, and he's made one quarterfinal this year at the French, and that's it. It's been atrocious for him at the slams, and you know I think uh, he just I mean, gets in not, his head. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. I think you start to see him get a little mental. When the when he loses a set, when these matches get tight, and again, he I think it was, I think he lost the last like six games of his last match. I think he was up like three love um, in his match against that he was at Nishikori. I think that's who he lost to. Yeah, he yeah. no, it was Cole Schreiber. It wasn't even Nishikori. It was Cole Schreiber. No, the, 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 in the U.S. Open, sets, it was Cole Schreiber. Yeah, won the first set was was up three love, down two sets to one in the in the fourth set, and lost six straight games. So just the just if you're scoring at home, in the three of the four majors he's lost this year, he's he's gotten bageled twice, and he lost the last six games in this one. So he's lost six straight games going out of each of the three of the four majors. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable! Just major choke, and he just really needs like a good, uh, life coach right now. <laughs> I'm kind of a, just a mental. He needs he needs a mental coach. Yeah. I mean, he's working with Lundell, so maybe that'll get through to yeah. him. But uh, I I don't know what's uh, what's going to happen there. All right, uh, George Pinozian talking to the U.S. Open. This was fun. Um, I guess I gotta I guess I gotta ask you because you haven't been on in a while. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on the L.A. basketball scene? Are you just all LeBroned out? Is Kobe just a thing of the past? <laughs> well, Kobe, Kobe will, will always be a thing of the past, but a legend of the past okay. now. So it's uh, it's exciting for Lakers fans to, to kind of have another star back in town. But uh, it does kind of bring up a little bit of the bandwagoners kind of start coming out of the grave again and 
Yeah, like it's, the guys uh, that were rooting for the Clippers. You know, like, yeah, those guys. Ugh. Like those guys, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> yeah, you know, so I don't know. It's, uh, I guess I'm excited about it, but at the same time, I'm not. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a, a couple year plan, right? Like I don't. Do you reasonably yeah. expect them to go anywhere next year? I feel like the move is two, three years. Like the year after next is where they make yeah. the move. Yeah, I, I, yeah, they definitely need another star. They need somebody else in their lineup. I think they do, they do have a good team though, and I think people are kind of underestimating them a little. So. I, they're they're, they're going to make the playoffs. I mean, I've heard some person say that they're not even they they think they won't even make the playoffs, and I'm kind of like, no. I mean, I do I do get it that the West is stacked, but that there's no way that happens to LeBron James. Okay, well, I agree with that. I think it'll be fun to see yeah. how it all goes down. I just know that the Laker bandwagon is back in uh, in full. It's back. So we're we're in full effect that. all around the city. <laughs> just. Just everywhere. Barney's beanery, they're everywhere. <laughs> Barney, Barney's beanery. Oh, God. Taverns. Big wangs. Every, they're all, yeah. Just taking over Glendale. Yeah. Just taking over Glendale. Armenians in Glendale. <laughs> all right. George Pinozian. He is a uh, Money. He's a singer. He's a business owner. And he's uh, a big fan of fellow Armenians, Karen Kachanoff and Andre Agassian. So you know, I got to represent what I can, you know. If there was a Mexican tennis player that was pretty uh, prominent on the scene, I would be all for him, too. I don't or doubt her. that at all. Chicago, Chicago. That's what, the, that's exactly. what, that's what it's about. Chicago, Chicago. All right, George Pinozzi, <laughs> thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. We'll definitely be talking soon. All right, thanks for having me again, as usual. Money Mitch. Thanks to George Finozian and Adam Musto for coming on to today's show. Thanks to Tim Adams for supplying the beats and Brian Nelson for supplying the logo slash artwork for the show. You can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It comes right up. Make sure you check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page as well. A lot of episodes and content on there. And follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. And make sure every Friday, run for your money. Gambling, sports gambling, podcast. We're pretty much college football, but we dip into other things as well. Ken Brown and Matt Gothard, every Friday that show is up, available on those same sites as well. You're going to want to check that. A lot of college football drama. We're two weeks in. It feels like we're already in the thick of things there. It's a great time of year. Baseball season is almost at the playoffs. We'll be having the winter sports start again before you know it. And, of course, NFL. One weekend just heating up. Can't wait to see how this season unfolds. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, thank you so much for listening, and keep enjoying sports, people.